Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Remember The Twilight Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he, he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down on yeah, basic glasses. What about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went, come over here for a minute, and turned them into plastic. You, you want to see something really scary? Welcome, everybody, to Zoning Out. I'm Christopher Feinstein. John Sachs. Frank Bonacci. I am Sancho. And Judd. We are here today to discuss Season 1, Episode 16 of The Twilight Zone, The Hitchhiker. A young woman driving cross-country becomes frantic when she keeps passing the same man on the side of the road. No matter how fast he drives, the man is always up ahead, hitching her for a ride. With an air date of January 22nd, 1960. What do we think? I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I had a good time with this one. Yeah, it's a fun, classic episode. I thought it was shockingly good. We've had one female protagonist so far in an episode we really didn't like. The other female characters have been uh, an adoring housewife who gets tossed off a roof. No, out of my way. Please, out of my way. Couple, couple women at bars to get hit on. Yeah. The lady in the uh, the wet dream from Don Barzini. <laughs> and then we get this, who's like an actual fully fleshed out person. Yeah. Yeah. Very nuanced performance. Very. I mean, she's great. Did you get the uh, proto duel vibes, John? Uh huh. Yeah. So absolutely. I, I still haven't seen duel, but that's all I was thinking about the whole time, just from hearing you, your explanation. It I was like, like, "Oh my god, yeah. this it's got a duel feel to it." Sure I don't even did. know that movie. 100%. Yeah, she's great. She's great as a main character. I did not see the uh, the twist coming. I knew something was off, but I didn't think it was that. I kind of did see the twist coming. I, I don't know why. I don't think I've seen this episode. I did see it, but that's not to the the episode's detriment. It's just, I just kind of, I've just kind of seen this thing before. It also reminded me of a film called um, uh, Carnival of Souls. And that's why mm. I just kind of started thinking Carnival of Souls. But it's not to its detriment because while maybe we've seen similar twists in things we've watched recently we got to remember, this is 1960. That must have fucking made people jump out of their seats. Yeah. In $1960, this must have been unbelievable. Does it mean that the soldier was also dead? I, I don't know. Like, I mean, she just seemed to be large margin in or through the country because she's interacting with live people. <laughs> That's true. She, she, I uh... only said that. I made that as a note because I said... It's about time we had a large Marge uh, <laughs> drop in the show. It looked like this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she runs into the the gas station guy who, you know, fixes her tire and who who, who was a complete piece of shit. That and he also oh, no, not that no, one, not, not that him. one. No, that no, guy the owner, the gas station owner. Holy the owner was a shit! What a piece of garbage. Yeah. I've been seeing this man all the time, but he just stands there and he doesn't do anything. That's nothing to wake a man up in the middle of his sleep about. I think he's trying to rob me. <laughs> well, if he does, then you come back here and 
I'll call the sheriff. No, please help me. Please. Yeah. But Hi, there's a man with a knife at yeah. my throat. Do we call hey, the boys. Just, uh, yeah. Jamie, I'm on fire. Could you urinate on me? Yeah, I'm sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the first guy that helped her looked, I had to look it up because I said it looked exactly like the drunk guy from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. The drunk? Oh! Uh, what's his name? Lou? Lou? Chilly Willie? Yeah, right. Yeah, man. It looked just like him. I had to look at I said, this can't be the same guy. I've seen a rabbit. Yeah. We'll say hello, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> the hitchhiker. He was the most unenthusiastic hitchhiker. Oh, uh, yeah. He, he didn't even put his thumb up. He just kind of gestured to her. He says, hey, come over here. <laughs> <laughs> As so this was the ex- sorry. sorry go no no go as, a, as opposed to the extremely enthusiastic waiter who she ran into <laughs> who just berated her in the 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 diner that she stopped over in oh right uh, <laughs> he was he was face talking get many hitchhikers around here hitchhikers here Whew. rare huh well it couldn't be no rarer guy'd be a fool hitching a ride on a turnpike well, look at it miles and miles of straightaway and practically no speed limit now what car is going to stop and pick up a guy under those conditions, would you? People got uncomfortably close to this woman's face <laughs> yes. as she was talking throughout this every, episode. Every interaction she had with someone was there. Everybody just... got right in her grill. <laughs> well, that was on per. At least I took took that as on purpose. Like this whole episode is. That's why I was so surprised at how good it was because it was. At least to me, it reads like it can be scary to be a woman. I think that's like a big takeaway from this, right? It's just I like couldn't stop thinking about that aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, honestly, this probably the scariest scene of the series so far is when she's driving with the sailor, and he's like uncomfortably close. Yeah, and mm. I'm watching this like, what? Is, I know this is Twilight Zone in the in sixty on broadcast TV, so I know it can't really do anything. But I'm like, this is really dark. Like, this is really. I mean, in a good way, like uncomfortably creepy. What is this guy gonna do to this woman? Yeah. I say, do you mind if I take off my shoes? My feet feel like two hot bricks. No, go right ahead. Thanks. You know, I, I keep thinking I'll wake up or something. Middle of the night, no cars, no nothing. Who do I meet? Lady who looks like a movie star. When I tell the guys on the ship, do you know what the odds are for even one guy believing me? I said, do you know what the odds are for one guy to believe me? I'll write an affidavit. We can get a notary to sign it. He's a sailor. He's in New York. He's we get this guy laid. He don't have any trouble. Obligatory. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was just sitting there. They were leaning. I was like, I was actually grateful that this is from 1960. And they wouldn't take that scene to its logical conclusion. <laughs> they wouldn't go any further. They're constrained by the time to not go further. Because I was really worried for her yeah it's like just and standing then, like then, right in her face yeah like i mean he was sitting that's why i was so surprised how good it was this, yeah and those the, old like, cars that's bench seats so he's just sliding right he's right he's needed yeah, yeah. needed with her so you mind if i take my shoes off oh i got hot brick feet his <laughs> dogs his dogs were barking yeah he pulled a candy no. from playing strains it's not all that was barking. <laughs> you know why, Johnny? He had that dog in them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. But then what happens right after that? When he when 
he gets freaked out. And then she like tries to use her sexuality to bring him yeah. back. Almost oh, got a performance it, there. Yeah. That performance it doesn't work, there is but so it's great. Good. Just can't go. I'll take you all the way into San Diego. I'll drive you right to the docks. I promise. Thanks. But no thanks. Look, I like you. I really like you very much. As a matter of fact, that's why I picked you up, because I liked you. I thought that we could be friends, and I'd kind of like for you to take me out. Really? Please? He thought about it. The pecker almost got him. He said, eh, I him. It started pulling him. His groin started going in that direction. It was zombie arming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then he found these, oh, wait a minute. No, she's crazy. I got to get out of here. I mean, that's a wise man because, like, it's like, wait, she's crazy and she wants me? Yeah. I'm going to marry this girl. <laughs> I think it was the best lead so far. Best lead performance. Jack Warden was you. great, but I think this one was my favorite so far. Yeah, she was fantastic. Amazing. Ingmar Inger, Inger Stevens. Stevens. Excellent. Amazing performance. And yeah, again, I'm like, they just treated her like a person. She wasn't she wasn't a housewife. She was a working woman, just traveling for work. And I thought that was I wasn't expecting that in nineteen sixty. Yeah. This this felt like a it was like a much needed break from what this series <laughs> has been so far. Yeah, a lot of Rome you know? in the last few episodes. A lot of testosterone. A lot of Rome. Yeah, yeah. So this was based on a play by Lucille Fletcher. It's the first and only radio play to be made into a Twilight Zone episode. Mm. Radio play. Yeah. Yes. That's cool. I wonder how that played. So. 1941, Serling had heard the original broadcast of The Hitchhiker on Mercury Theater on the Air, starring Orson Welles. The play stuck with Serling, and when Twilight Zone came along, he contacted Lucille Fletcher and bought the rights. But what's interesting is because you watch this episode, and you're like, wow, this is such a nuanced, smart story about a woman. But Serling changed the name and the gender. Yeah. So it was originally about a guy, and he switched it to a woman. And Lucille Fletcher actually didn't think that made sense when he did it. It's an uh, interesting choice because you do get that added bonus, intentional or not, of how frightening it is for a woman to be traveling alone. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Everybody's a close talker. It's like that Seinfeld episode. With the, what's his name? Ju the judge. <laughs> judge Ju Reinhold. Judge Reinhold. Yeah. Everybody's Judge Reinholding her up in a grill. Yeah, they were really He takes Jerry's parents to the museum. It was really uh, uncomfortable the way they were talking to her. I love how it opens, and I love it's so arch. And I love when Twilight Zone gets arch, where he, it's just uh, the camera pans as she's driving away from that first gas station, and the hitchhiker's Leonard Strong is all up in your grill, like, "Hey, I'm a coming." He looks at the camera. I love that. He looks at the audience, like, Haha, "I'm up to no good. Why don't you guys stick around and find out how?" So yeah, the episode starts. Oh, were well, you gonna say something? No, I was going to see um, this. So this is what Lucille Fletcher, who wrote the play, said. She said, if I had been asked to write it, I never would have approved of the gender switch for good as Inger Stevens' performance was. I don't think a female in the part added anything to my play. In fact, I think the dramatic effect was minimized. Huh. So this this idea came from something that happened to her in real life. She explains, I first got the idea for The Hitchhiker in 1940 when I crossed country from Brooklyn to California with my first husband. And we saw an, an odd-looking man first on the Brooklyn Bridge and then on the Pulaski Skyway. We never saw him again. However, I didn't quite know what to do with the idea until a year later when 
shortly after my first daughter was born, I conceived the idea of doing it as a ghost story. Mm. And it's like you said, like this story, we've seen it a lot, probably even in the past 10 years. And and when you do the, oh, he was dead all along, it gives you a lot of creative license to not follow any sort of logic. But this actually, one, it wraps up the story well. And it like enhances everything you saw before. But it's also, again, like you said, 1960. It wasn't like they were ripping off five other things. Right. Like this was a fresh idea at the time. So all like all together, I thought it was an excellent episode. Interestingly enough, yeah, it was based on a radio play. And he must have been a fan, like a nerd for this episode, because uh, Bernard Herrmann, who scored the pilot of Twilight Zone, which we hear the open, in the opening theme uh, for the first season, is Bernard Herrmann. They actually used his score from the radio play in this episode. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's her that's her husband. Wait, she's married wait. Yeah. Louise Fletcher uh, is she, married to Bernard Herman. She was driving cross country with her husband, Bernard Herman. That's sick. Oh, and that's God. when she got that's when she got the idea Holy for this. Holy shit. Story. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, oh, we're, wow. we're all people from that area. Imagine seeing a guy standing on the Brooklyn Bridge hitchhiking. No. No. I mean, I was gonna ask that. Nineteen forties was fucking crazy. And then hitchhiking and, was common, and right? And then on the Pulaski Skyway. That's, How do you even get up there? That's just, right. right. <laughs> that's just a stain now. So Nan Adams is driving from New York City to L.A. So the episode starts with her having a flat tire repaired by a gas station attendant or a mechanic, a local roadside yeah. mechanic. And they discuss the ac- like the mishap she had. And he's like, wow, you're lucky to be alive. <laughs> and she sees a strange looking dude. Uh, hitchhiking she goes that guy's creepy and then Mm. when she's at the service station getting a new tire put on she sees him again then as she's driving further she sees him again (laughs) and then again like the further she goes down she then goes to a diner where she's explaining this to uh, the guy working at the diner and he explains how unlikely it would be for a hitchhiker to be hitchhiking where they are because he's like and i was just listening to this guy speak he's just like why would anybody want to pick up anybody on such a desolate road and then drive with them and empty <laughs> for on empty like you know with nothing to do for hours and hours i'm like oh honey <laughs> you really haven't been out of your town much have you <laughs> it's like why what would you do with a stranger in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that you just picked up off the road <laughs> they're innocent they're so innocent. It's like they've never they've never ran into uh Oh god damn it, what's the actor's name? Hang on, Elliot! What's his name? Uh I need this actor's name. Uh from uh True Romance. Okay, he's from the episode of uh uh Oh Bronson Pinchot? No, no, no. The guy the FBI <laughs> agent, the one who got busted. Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore. Uh, they've never Okay, let's start again because I'm gonna Hang on, Elliot. Hey, you hang the fuck on, Elliot! I love, I love this Clarence kid. They haven't run into a time size more. It's like, okay, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got an idea. You boys. Thinking, hey, hey, I got an idea. What do you say? We slip into a room and you two split me open like a coconut. Oh. Dennis, what are we saying? This we say no. <laughs> From uh, Always Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest scene. Have you ever watched the outtakes for that scene? They it took them like thirty takes of that. <laughs> they could not get through that scene. Like Tom saw everybody. If it wasn't Tom Sizemore, it was Charlie. Everybody was just could not 
because every time he got to the coconut line, they would just lose their minds. <laughs> and, and, and I got to give it to Tom Sizemore for committing to that moment. Then she almost gets hit by a train uh, because she felt that the hitchhiker was beckoning her to sit the car on the train tracks. She she relates that she's like, ah, it's been three days and I'm in I've only made it to Arkansas. I'm like, Arkansas? How fucking slow is this lady driving? Yeah. She went backwards mm-hmm. at one point. She got to flatten in Pennsylvania. Then she's like, well, now I'm passing through Virginia. It's like, wait a bit. Where the hell are you in Pennsylvania that you somehow made it to Virginia when you're going west? That don't make no yeah. sense to me. You want you yeah, had to she, go south to go west? I mean, if the, if the folks are thirsty in Atlanta and there's beer in Texarkana, I know I'm not calling to haul that stuff. She's slow as shit. He's bound and down, loaded up and trucking. Are we going to do what they say can be done? Oh, oh, fun thing. I don't know. I I got to look this up. I should have did it before now. But when they're stopped in quote unquote Pennsylvania, I guarantee you that if somebody to look it up, that is the same stretch of road that the Batmobile would leave out of on in the mm. Batman TV series. Because I saw that and I'm like right. that. Oh, God, I didn't even realize I was doing that. Right. I didn't realize I was doing that. It's amazing. You know what the, you know, no, it's I good really... that you don't know. You know what? We're going to have a new podcast and we're going to call it Frank loves Batman. And we're just going to have Frank talk about Batman. John's head. John just sank his as head into just, the table. As he soon can't... as Batman came up, John deflated. <laughs> Batman. John. John I knew I knew where that was from. I can't believe John's just face said it. I can't believe he just hijacked the show to talk about Batman once again. It was so good. I mean, the episode was great. We were really getting into it, and then right. the stretch of road. Man again. <laughs> but I know I'm right. Oh no, I'm sure you are. Great. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, I'm looking wrong. it up. It's gotta be. It has to be the same road. I know what that road looks like, like the back of my hand. Of course you do. <laughs> Even though I don't really like Batman all that much. Yeah, we know. God damn it. Well, while you're looking that up, I might as well keep summarizing. Yeah, keep going. I don't uh, know what they've been this, is, <laughs> this is where she eventually runs out of gas. She's driving so much. Late at night, she stops at a gas station. She The gas station's closed. So she goes to the house next door, which is owned by the gas station owner or is this the same building there's a guy living in the gas station might, think, think, yeah, yeah it'd be attached so. to it it's like attached yeah. to it okay that's how i took it yeah she knocks on this window and this is the guy we were talking about earlier who just does not give a shit she's like mike i ran out of gas he's like so oh, the place gas station's closed it's 11 o'clock he's like yeah but there's a man following me he's like so what Men follow women all the time. She's like, I think he might try to rob and or murder me. Well, if something bad happens, tell him, call, tell me and I'll call the police or something. Good night. Yeah, that guy's had it. You know what? That but you guy gotta, you gotta give think, a shit. Think about probably the day he's had. Deals with the he public deals with day. the public all day. He's, he's probably had people fucking change my oil, wipe my windows. He just wants to fucking hit the hay. And now he's got some lunatic. Banging on his window. I don't care what happens to you, honey. The key to a happy life is a good home and work balance. And I'm not going to change that for you. (laughs) He's had it, that guy, by that time. Yeah, he could give a shit. As she's begging this man for essentially her life, 
a, a, a friendly sailor drops by. Just happens to just she turns around. Where the fuck that guy came from? Yeah, he just came out of the yeah. middle of nowhere. Yeah. He was just hitchhiking too. Just a sailor just hitchhiking. I, and they make it seem is that like a commonplace thing? Were people just hitchhiking like left and right back then? Yes. I, I was wondering because it's a, is it hard? It's a it's insane to imagine a time when hitchhiking wasn't analogous to just being murdered outright. Like you're gonna be murdered. Right. You're going to either pick up someone who will murder you, or you will pick up a person who murders will pick you up. Yeah, uh, I mean, people are very fucking trusting. Yeah. Unless it's not yeah. that bad. Unless we've just got all crazy imaginations. I don't care to find out. I think it was fairly common back then. I just feel like I've seen so many movies from the 70s where people would get around by hitchhiking. Yeah. You know, it was just like, I, I think back then it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a different time. Yeah. Well, those degenerate hippies did that, but they didn't follow any logical protocols whatsoever. Protocols. <laughs> um, I mean, they, it says it was a primary mode of travel for the better part of the last century. What do you mean? Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Everybody had to follow the rules of the road. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if it'll get me a couple hundred miles across the country, I'll take a shot in the mouth. The unwritten... <laughs> the book is it the unwritten book uh, of the road? Yeah, I think so. Fuck George Carlin. George Carlin, no. dude. <laughs> there are no lines. <laughs> Don't be so suburban. He says. You know how many times I use that? Don't be so suburban. I say it all the time. I'm going. I know we're going off on a tangent. You want me to break your heart with uh, a, a Kevin Smith George Carlin story? When they were shooting Dogma, when he played the Cardinal. If you look, he's wearing a wedding ring. And he's like, they had a discussion about, you know, a cardinal wouldn't have a wedding ring, but his wife had just passed away and he just couldn't bring himself to take the ring off. Uh, so Kevin uh, just didn't even argue with that. And he's just like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Kevin Smith was just on uh, your mom's house with uh, Tom, Tom Segura. Segura. And he told them all, they were talking about uh, George Carlin and how like George Carlin, all he ever wanted to be was an actor. Never mind, really? com yeah, never mind comedy. He just wanted to be an actor. And... Kevin Smith was like, I was so happy that I was able to, you know, help him a little bit. What was that last movie he did with Kevin Smith? Uh, Jersey Girl? Jersey Girl. I right. like that movie. Even so it's... he's like, for that movie, George Carlin's character has like a conflict with another guy all the time. He's constantly breaking his balls. And you never see the reason why. He's just always breaking his balls. He said, one morning, George showed up on set and told Kevin, he said, listen, Kev, I had a problem with myself breaking this guy's balls all the time for, and never really explaining it. So I wrote myself a 14-page backstory on why the relationship I had with this guy. Don't worry, we won't talk about it in the movie. I've crumpled it up and threw it in the garbage. It doesn't exist anymore, but now I know why I'm doing it. He said, and this, he, said he was fucking like method, the guy. He really dove, and he just wanted to be an actor. Well, he's also a very sharp guy. Yeah. And I, I could see him doing that. That was the thing about his comedy, was that he was very detail-oriented. Yeah. And I could see that bleeding into his acting. And I could see, it's like, that. that would sound crazy except I totally understand that. It's like, oh yeah, right. I, I probably did it half for fun because it's fun to do that. Like I, I like even like when I was writing stuff for characters, I write stuff that has nothing to do with it. Like in the backstories, I put like weird stuff and just because it is fun to do that. Yeah. Back oh, to what we going So, okay. So that uh, guy is able to, uh, I guess, intimidate the the gas station person so much. The sailor is able to climb into the guy's window. Like, Come on, you son of a bitch, gas me! <laughs> Juice. <laughs> uh, 
So they're driving where they have this uncomfortably close conversation where he's really up in her grill. He's creepy and unnerving. And that's what's another great. This is why this scene's great. You're meant to be uncomfortable by him. But then the show flips it where she's actually the one that you that, that makes him get creeped out. Oh, he was creepy, but to have that that inversion of it is really smart. That's why, again, like I think Louise Fletcher is wrong. It's it was cool that it was a woman. It brought some more oomph to the proceedings. Because if that was just a dude picking up another dude, there's like no real threat there. Yeah, it's so much better that it's a woman. Yeah, yeah. it wouldn't, way, it wouldn't way work nearly as well. Yeah, and the fact that he's not like overplaying his creepiness. No, he's it's not just like, he's not like a drunk guy slobbering on her. It's just it's just very subtle, which makes it more creepy. Because it makes him feel a little, you don't know what he's going to do, and that makes it worse. Yeah. Again, you're thinking this whole time, is it out of the frying pan into the fire with this whole thing? And it's just like, no, it's showing how desperately afraid she is and how actually that's making her a problem in this situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that uh, that performance, we talked about it earlier, but her performance in this whole sequence is fantastic. I mean, especially when she tries to seduce him and it's so half-hearted. It was like the, in this way of, men like to hear that they're attractive, right? That was like the way she played it. Yeah. Like it was yeah. so patronizing. It was so patronizing. But you know what's sad? Is that it almost still worked. Yeah. It's yeah, like it a woman could patronize yeah. you. Just flat, flat out, I'm telling you what you want to hear and you'll have to debate it in your head. Go, I know she's saying that, but maybe I could change her. <laughs> yeah. I looked her up to see what else she had done. She was in A Time for Killing, a 1967 Western film directed originally by Roger Corman, but finished by Phil Carlson. It stars Glenn Ford, George Hamilton, Inger Stevens, and Harrison Ford. Whoa. Wow. Credited as Harrison J. Ford in huh. his first credited film role. Wow. There you go. She passed wow. away in 1970. Yeah, I found well, that out, it's, too. It's a little ambiguous. It sounds like it might have been a suicide. Yeah. Oh, shit. But we're not sure. Which yeah, is the same, because, again, she was great in this. Sadly, another tragic thing about her life, and this is sadly where our country's poor history of race relations will come up in this episode. She had a secret marriage to a film producer and just behind-the-scenes talent, uh, Ike Jones, who was a, a black man. And it only came out after her death that they were married for years and it had to be kept a secret so she would keep booking roles. Wow. Uh, they even maintained wow. different addresses and different. They never filed. They, they filed their taxes separately. So a lot of people thought Ike Jones, when he that she was my wife, they thought he was fibbing. But it's been since confirmed Like yeah, that was the situation. And sadly, this really talented actress could not date. I mean, not be married to somebody publicly isn't that crazy yeah that's crazy like it's amazing yeah that's the dark side of 1960 that's so sad yeah isn't that horrible which also brings me to the hitchhiker and i might as well get all the the bad news out of out of, <laughs> out of here at once folks so the actor who played the hitchhiker i'm watching the episode as soon as he shows up i'm like that guy's so familiar i've seen him somewhere i know i've seen him in something something big something that I've watched a million times. Uh, that actor, his name's Leonard Strong. Before I say what I remember him from, let me just tell you about Leonard Strong's speciality as an actor. This isn't gonna be comfortable, folks. Buckle up. So, oh, his speciality, yeah, his speciality was 
playing Asian characters in movies. So he would be spent most of his career in yellow face, um, which brings me to how I remember him. He was the claw in the show Get Smart, which was uh, very, if you're of a certain age, everybody said the craw, not the craw. My name is the craw. The craw? <laughs> oh, not the craw, the craw. Oh, yes, the craw. Because <laughs> yeah. that was the famous bit from that scene. I, which actually makes me cringe a little bit when I think about that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's not that kind of funny, actually. And I'm like, oh, that's how I know him. He was the claw on Get Smart. Again, we weren't doing too good in terms of race relations in 1960. And both, it's weird yeah. that both the principles, like, stories reflect that in bizarre ways. Jeez. Sorry to bring the room down. Hey, it is what it is. Well, no, it's good. It's good to talk about that stuff to give context, you know. Yeah. To what was going on around the production. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I was like, do I even bring this up? Because it's like I, I kind of have to. I mean, I can't just ignore those two things. Like I saw them in researching the episode. And I'm like, I can't ignore that. Those are two. And the fact that they're they lead to the same thing. It's like I can't not bring that up. Anyway, back to this episode, which is excellent. You still watch it. I give it. I give it a nine. Oh wow! We're not there yet. Take it easy. Take oh, it sorry. easy. John, Hold your horses. Hold your horses. Jump the gun. Cut that. Uh, cut, that. Uh, cut that. Cut that. The cut that, uh, the <laughs> sailor with the hot brick feet uh, exits the car. She calls her mother, and somebody else answers the phone. Says her mother's not available. She's in the hospital. She had a nervous breakdown. It's like why she had a nervous breakdown? It's like well, she's been that way since her daughter died last week, and the woman then proceeds to describe the accident that she that nan the main character had had at the beginning of the episode and she realizes now that she's just a ghost walking through here and she has this moment of peace she's able to let go very odd the fear has left me now i'm numb i have no feeling it's as if someone had pulled out some kind of a plug in me and everything Emotion, feeling, fear has drained out. And now I'm a cold shell. I'm conscious of things around me now. The vast night of Arizona. The stars that look down from the darkness. Ahead of me stretch a thousand miles of empty mesa. Mountains, prairies, desert. Somewhere among them he's waiting for me. Somewhere I'll find out who he is. I'll find out. I'll find out what he wants. Though just now, for the first time, looking out at the night, I think I know. I think I know. She gets in her car, a great last scene. That last moment is so good. She gets in her car, and as she's adjusting the rearview mirror, and you can see the hitchhiker sitting behind her there, and he says, I believe you're going my way. And the episode cuts to black, the end. Fantastic. Great, yeah, great ending. Great, so well executed. So Sterling named the character after his daughter, Anne, whose family name is Nan. Mm. And this is what Nan said. <laughs> that one always bothered me. I thought, why did he have to use that name? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You're my daddy's Sorry. little girl who's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like to think that she sounds exactly like her dad. That'd be great. <laughs> dad, why'd you put why'd you make me a dead person in this episode? Well, <laughs> well, honey. <laughs> why does it sound like uh, the Charles Bronson from The Simpsons? Mom, can I have a cookie? No dice. This ain't over. Love this episode, as I said at the beginning. So, John, you're down for a nine. I give it a nine, yeah. You got it. That's two nines in the past three weeks. I got to start to look at how I graded the old older episodes, because yeah. this feels way better than, than most of them. Right. This is a jump in quality. That's... Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have, you know, we have, we hit the occasional dud. I think, I don't know if you're, I'm of the opinion that next week's is a little bit, not to jump the gun, but I'm just saying, wasn't very happy with that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say this is a, a high benchmark in quality. Well shot, well directed, really well acted. Even the, um, the freeze frame they use to play over the credits. I want that as a poster. It's her coming out of a tunnel. And, oh, right. and just that the hitchhiker's hand up that is so yeah. spooky as a, as a still yeah it's just top to yeah. bottom just superb superb yeah i have to agree this is a nine because when i this is how like my this is how like my sessions watching it start it feels like work until i get into the episode and if it's a good episode it's like oh this isn't work at all i'm having oh shit the twilight zone's on you know what i mean <laughs> when it's a right. dud it feels like work it's like okay well how do i make anything out of this which it's tune in next week, folks. Uh, <laughs> but this one was just a treat to watch. And it was like, I can't wait to talk about this because this is so much. This is such a fun episode. And so different, too, yeah. from everything you've seen. Alfred Hitchcock wanted this story before uh, Serling. He approached, what's her name? Oh, Lucille Fletcher? Yeah. The writer? Yeah. Lucille! Yeah. Lucille! <laughs> he approached her first for, for Alfred Hitchcock's Presents. And offered her two thousand dollars for the story, but she declined the bid. Yeah, she said it reached Orson Welles because Benny, my husband, was musical director of the Mercury Theater on the air. I knew Orson, and in fact, had done a lot of publicity on him when I was working on CBS before, more or less, to fit his style and manner of speaking. Welles did it eloquently and imaginative, and I was very pleased with the result. So, so there you go. That's a pretty good end. I, I'd actually gonna have to look for that because I've listened to a lot of Mercury Theater. There's another Mercury, a fun Mercury Theater connection next week. At one point, we got to sit down and talk about like how insanely influential that was. Uh, I mean, everybody knows the War of the Worlds thing, you know, that broadcast they did. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. It was a high benchmark of quality. And it has a lot of the language of cinema owes a lot to the Mercury Theater because that's where Wells, who's... One of the great innovators cut his teeth. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Great app. Enjoy this one. Yeah. This is a, this is a, I'd say this is a nine for me. This is a solid nine. Just, I was, yeah. I was gripped from beginning to end. I, I don't have anything funny to say about it. It's like, it's, it's just. Are we all nines? I think so. Yeah, I think I'm a nine. Nines across well. the board on I, this one. I, whoa. That's gotta be that. That's gotta be the highest. If you, if you total up the scores. Yeah. Hey, all right. Yeah, I think so. I've never heard of this episode either previously right it's not like a classic or a well-known one once i looked into it apparently it is regarded oh, wow. as one of the better episodes of the series there's definitely deservedly i've never seen this episode no me neither you know we're coming up on new year's as a time of recording and the twilight zone marathon always that's where it mm, happens yeah. like you know usually uh and apparently they only play the same four episodes because uh, i swear to god because it's just like <laughs> this is a this is a banger how come i've never, never seen right. this 
everybody says, oh, I watch the New Year's uh, marathon every year. It's like you're going to see the same few episodes. They're all good ones. But it's just like there are some good deep. This is a good. I consider this a good deep cut episode. Did you recognize the voice on the phone? No. Mm. Who was it? Oh, really? Uncredited. Eleanor Audley. She was the wicked stepmother in Cinderella. Big uh, voice actress at the time. She was on, uh, what the fuck was she on? Radio Pro, uh, My Father Knows Best and My Favorite Husband. She was on I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke Show, Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Like when you, I, That's a, my favorite part of looking up stuff for this show is just finding like all these, like really like looking into like the backgrounds of all these amazing veteran character actors that would they put on the show. Yeah. And uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm ready. For, I'm ready for the fever. Yeah, sorry this was such a dry one, but uh, it's just I don't have. Well, I listen, think we're discovering to... something where the worse an episode it is, the more fun we have. The more fun we have. So tune. Remember, I've been kind of trashing next week. Next week ought to be great, folks. <laughs> be sure and tell them Large Marge sent you. <laughs> and now, Mr. Serling. Species of machine known variously as slot machine or one-armed bandit. And if you've ever played with one of these things for a while, you've probably gotten a peculiar feeling that this is a machine with a mind and will of its own. This is precisely what happens when Everett Sloan contacts a fatal ailment we call the fever. You'll be an eyewitness to it next week on The Twilight Zone. <laughs>